You're listening to Episcopal Youth Ministry in ATL. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Episcopal Youth Ministry in ATL. We're still not in ATL. We've taken a trip to Indianapolis. We're here. Just down the road from what I hear. Just a a hop, skip, and a jump. (laughs) We're here with Eric Travis. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Good. I was excited because when we met on the elevator, you were talking about you had gone to a local comic book shop. And <laughs> as someone who collects what I consider a, a, a modest. moderate, a modest comic book shop or comic book uh, collection. <laughs> I've collected shops. <laughs> I wish. I, I always like when I go to a new town, even if I'm just like passing through, I want to find a comic book shop just to see what they're doing. Are you like that? I am. Okay. Uh, if it's not a, a comic book shop, then it'll be a used bookstore. Yes. yes. Uh, to see what's there, what's available. Oh, that's a newer copy of what I don't yeah. have or didn't need to get. And, oh, it's a better copy. And so I've got my reading copy and I've got my collection copy. And yep. Sometimes I'll yeah. try to find, like, with, with used bookstores, I'll try to find local authors. Mm-hmm. So when I was in Ireland, that was really hard because I was trying to find, like, specifically, like, trying to find James Joyce and, like, could not, like, every bookstore had, like, yeah, we just ran out. I'm like, what? This is your national treasure. What do you mean you ran out? <laughs> what does he write? Uh, Ulysses and a Finnegan's Wake. Does he write Batman? Uh, he does not write Batman. I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, before we make this into comic book podcast. Um, <laughs> Which would be fine by me. Yeah. Right? I can talk comic books. I mean, we've had the toothpaste podcast this already. This is true. So um, we wanted to bring you on because you have a lot of experience with safeguarding safe church best practices and policies and that's especially for the youth leaders who listen and are in the Episcopal Church that's a very big topic and um, so we wanted to bring you on but first like tell us about you how you got involved with youth ministry or the Episcopal Church um, and kind of your relationship with what you've been working on. Sure Um, so I'm currently the missioner for youth and young adults for the Diocese of Michigan uh, which is the diocese that's based in Detroit, in southeast uh, Michigan, that part. Uh, I've been there 10 years. Um, I grew up in the Episcopal Church. My father was a vocational deacon before they called them that. Um, and my mother was not only the church secretary for a while, but the bishop's secretary. Oh. Um, so, I, I, you know, it's always been a part of, of my life. Um, youth ministry is actually my second career. Uh, went to school for something else, um, but in 1990, I moved to Central Florida uh, to attend the Institute for Professional Youth Ministry, which was based out of that diocese, uh, their, their diocesan offices, um, and went through a two-year intern training program, stayed on at that church, and have been doing youth ministry either on a diocesan level or a parish level since then. So with it being 2019, that means 29 years that's a lot. of doing youth ministry as a layperson. Yeah. And that's really strange because I am 29. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as long as you've been alive, <laughs> I've been doing, I've been in, employed by the Episcopal Church in one way or another. Yeah. Um, it was actually in Central Florida where we were first introduced to the idea of safeguarding. Um, we were, uh, the church was, there were rumblings in other denominations about people discovering um, misconduct going on. And so um, as, a, as a youth minister in, in, in Central Florida, and there were a number of us, there were a number of clergy there as well, um, the desire to um, 
get ahead of it and start doing this training, which I, I've since come to learn was mandated by the denominational church. I remember being in a huge room filled with lots of clergy, mostly men, mostly white men, and they all wore their clericals, um, and then a few of us youth ministers that were there. And the trainer said, in your career working in the church, you will be accused of sexual misconduct. And I'm going, bleep no. I self-bleep myself, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Not then, but here I did. Uh, No, that's not going to happen. And so they did the training. were talking to us about that. And it's like, no, that's... I'm not going to get into that. If I'm going to be accused, I'm going to make sure that I'm safe. I then went on to the Diocese of Central New York and was the canon for youth ministry, so working on the bishop's level, the diocesan level. And the mandate came down through, um, at that time, it was the insurance companies that were saying, for us to cover you, this is what I remember hearing, for us to cover you uh, for these types of cases, you must have three hours, four hours of training on the recognition and prevention of sexual misconduct. Uh, Each diocese has to create their own training, and you have six months in which to do that. I went to my bishop, and it it came on my desk because I was in charge of youth ministry. And I went to my bishop, and I said, Bishop, I would feel really bad if we waited the six months to get started on this uh, and if someone was hurt uh, because we did not act in time. Uh, and in great ways that bishops and other leaders like to do, says, I agree with you, Eric. You do it. <laughs> um, and so I did. I started doing that. And so I was one of the first and working with some other people to create a, a, a training program on the recognition and prevention of child sexual abuse and in churches. And so the Diocese of Central New York was one of the first. Uh, we collaborated with others. Um, and um, and then other groups were dealing with the Nathan Network was working with this. Um, Church Pension Group was working with this. They had coordinated and, and, and gotten together with this uh, little company called uh, Presidium Incorporated. Mm-hmm. We were one of their first clients. Um, and uh, working with them and talking about um, how can we do this training. Um, so from the beginning, I was a trainer there, and in every diocese that I've worked in, I've, I've become licensed or trained to become a trainer. Um, I think it's very important to be trained. Um, part of it is also that um, while it did not happen at church, um, I am a survivor of childhood abuse, uh, peer-on-peer abuse um, that affected me. And I don't want that to happen to anybody that's affiliated with our church. I don't want it to happen to anyone, bottom line. Mm-hmm. I work in the church, and that's where I'm going to focus on. Um, and so have been a big proponent of training, of, of keeping that, keeping the policies and procedures up, and also as the church has advanced, and we run into things that were not talked about when the first policies were put out uh, that we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, I believe that my diocese was the first... Um, to bring a transgendered young person to the Episcopal Youth event. Hmm. Um, And we did that in, which one was it, Um, 2008? I think that's the one. My brain is not working. Um, In Minnesota. Um, And had to help the the denominational office, youth ministries office, um, figure out how do we have 
have transgendered young people at an event that is set up at colleges that only have binary housing. Um, I wish we knew more then because I would have changed the way we did it. Uh, but when you are breaking new ground and when you are trying to sort of push an envelope, you, you make mistakes. What was, the, what was the response to that? I mean, did people throw up walls? Was it like you had to fight a battle? Was it just we don't understand? No, it was wonderful. Bronwyn oh, Scove uh, at the denominational office um, is not only someone who I've known for many, many years, um, but is a kindred spirit in, in youth ministry and in being progressive. And so she was like, you're absolutely right. We have to do this. Will you help us figure out how to do it? Um, another great leader that says, yes, you get to help. <laughs> And so uh, trying to figure out those ways. So, no, there were no um, barriers. There were no uh, people outside of maybe that group. When we brought our our young person to EYE, we would have, well, he's a he, but you're saying that he's a she. And and this was the beginning of this transgender. One of the things that Amani, who is the person we brought did a lot of teaching for us in Michigan about how to be accepting Mm. and how to be radically welcoming and what does that look like Um, and as someone who is cis and does not understand trans in a personal way I mean I can empathize with it um, I knew that that's where I needed to get my information needed to get uh, that story from that narrative from and how can we be as welcoming as we can. Not just the Episcopal Church welcomes you, but the Episcopal Church invites you yes. and to be open to that. And how do we, like, how we encourage, and I think encourage the, like, like you said, encourage the stories, because I think that that's sometimes what we, like we say, like, yes, come, but we don't necessarily say come and then tell us, A, like, why you're here, but then B, how can we be with you? Mm-hmm. How can we learn to empathize and maybe Maybe we've never had to empathize. How can we learn to empathize, um, which I think is really important. In my career, one of the things that I have um, sort of taken on as a mission is the rights of our LGBTQ um, plus yep. young people. Um, and in living and working in places that are not always LGBTQ plus friendly, um, to still be able to stand up and say yeah. they they are us and we are fully welcoming to them. So that helped lead me to here. Michigan has also been a fairly progressive place in terms of LGBTQ plus and um, other not minorities but fringe people that have been um, you know felt that they are on the fringe and and to welcome them in and figure that we had some things that we had learned locally that we could help bring um, nationally. Mm and sometimes, and working in a church that is hierarchical, that has rules and regulations and, you know, a bishop and, pre, you know, all of these orders, um, working in, within policy is, is helpful. Um, and that's what brought me to policy work, uh, is I wanted to be a part of this change. Uh, so when, in 2015, when General Convention said, we're going to redo the model policies for the protection of children, and it had things in it that said, we have to focus on this and this and this, which included social media, the, um, the experiences of LGBTQ plus people, uh, and other things that have come up in the last 15 years that were not thought about. Yeah. So like 
elderly, I think, is um, and then adults with special needs. So Correct. elderly and adults with special needs, uh, which I that to me, like when I was at general convention and I saw that I was, I think that that, I don't know, that all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, how come we don't have policies or how come we, like, I think one could, you know, have taken safeguarding God's children and, and stuck that on the label. But I think even when we look at safeguarding God's people, that has a different, a very focused um, viewpoint of what you're supposed to look at when you watch like the videos and all the other things. Right. Um, but, but somehow um, elderly and adults with special needs um, somehow doesn't necessarily fit in what we do with safeguarding God's children and what we do with safeguarding God's people. So, yeah, I've, and it needs to. Yes. This is uh, this is part of what we as the task group that were appointed from 2015 um, to redo those looked at. Um, and we also decided um, to look at policies starting from a theological standpoint. Um, the original policies intentionally did not start there. But 20 years ago, um, we, we had to get people on board. Um, and that training was created at that point um, with that idea. I look at it now and I, and I sometimes cringe at the online training and the, 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 the videotapes and some of those ones um, because they use a methodology and um, materials that are dated but are also done in ways that are um, provocative and almost attacking. Mm. Like almost like scare tactics. Yes. Yeah. And that was what was needed uh, back in 2002 to get people because the reason we were dealing with this is that we saw it wasn't a rise in the number of incidents. It was a rise in the number of reported incidences. Yeah. And so when we get this information from uh, uh, the insurance company that looks like in 1994 we were having um, – you know, we had 15 cases, 95, we had 18 cases, all of a sudden, 96, 97, we're having 78, 80, 90, 100 cases that the, the church pension group and the church insurance is dealing with. Um, it wasn't, oh, this is happening more. It's people are reporting it more. Yeah. We need to reduce this. Yeah. And that was the intention. And, and sometimes because people and church can be slow to change, you have to scare and that was the, the, the thought in that day um, because people were very reactive. Yeah. Um, we're hopefully a little more enlightened today. We understand that we don't need to do um, threatening or uh, provocative ways of training. Uh, we also, I think, understand that we can start training younger yes. uh, and, and involving not only preteens in this but also um, even younger in elementary age, is that we can, there have got to be ways that we can help people take care of themselves, watch out for others, and keep it a safe place. Yeah. And so that's this progression and moving towards updated training. Mm-hmm. The church moved slow. We got the policies changed. And now the next step is to update the training yeah. so that it reflects the new policies. So that gives a little bit of history and... I thought it was really interesting. Like I just did a training two weeks ago, and so you know I've seen the I've seen the videos a lot of times, and I've always have lots of thoughts about the videos. And uh, one one of the things that is mentioned in the um, safeguarding in the 
in the first in like normally in the training like the first video so the one that's directed more towards parents um there's a part where they mention like oh we can do this training for you should be doing this essentially like effectively this training with your kids um and i realize that how often do we say oh like our kids aren't ready for this conversation until they hit um you know 14 15 16 even though like i you know um the youth minister who asked me to do the training with for her parish um i said you know if you have kids who are middle school they should probably be here even just so then they can sit at a table with maybe just teenagers and like have the when we have um some discussion questions they can do the discussions with with each other um and they might feel more comfortable doing that but we need to have like it's not just hey once you hit 14 years old now you need to start talking about this um and so it's really interesting that that that's been a um even though we talk about it in the video we don't necessarily pre like do it um you know because most of those videos as you said are um triggering they yes. are attacking you know they're scare tactics that every time i watch them i'm going oh we've got to redo that and do that a different way um you know, we, we spend time, we can share life-saving information in ways that everyone can do. And when we look at, you know, we don't need to be scare tactic and say about fire. You know, yep. we, can, we don't have to take a child and say, we're going to take your hand and put it to the hot stove and burn it so that you experience that pain and know never to do that anymore. Well, why can't we do that about how we take care of our bodies, how we interact with people? Yeah. And that is also why we decided to go from a theological viewpoint, starting with there, that's saying as Christians, as Episcopalians, as, as people who look at our baptismal covenant, um, it is our responsibility um, to be aware. And it's not to be your brother's keeper, brother's or sister's keeper. It is, I have a responsibility for this community that I go to, whether it's a church, whether it's a camp, all of this, um, to not only be aware of myself, but also to be lookout and to see others. Um, I, I still think back to that idea of that first training I had, that sometime in my career, I will be accused of sexual misconduct. And I have lived saying, no, I won't, because what I do is I put protections in place to not only protect young people, but to protect myself. Yes. And I don't put myself into positions and if I put myself into positions that may be off policy or a little skewed, I then put other layers of yeah. protection. <clears throat> and that's you know? that's the big thing that I had to wrap my head around. Like it is not a checklist that I have to check every single event, every time a kid is in church until I can interact with them. Mm-hmm. It's you know the Episcopal police aren't going to pop in and kick in the door for better or for worse. Right? Oh no! Um, I think I hear them knocking. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of like policy and practice exactly um and that there's a difference between those very much so um policy is the starting point is the place to say to think about and what you've had is you've had people that have looked at all of the issues i mean even when we were doing the policy it's like oh yeah never even really thought about how our churches are built yes yeah i mean now, 20 years later, the idea of building a church or not retrofitting a church so that all doors have windows in it, I mean, that's, that's standard. 20 years ago, that was like you're going to close the churches by having this requirement of having to have these windows in here. We have learned 
to say, well, of course we're going to do this. Now we're talking about bathrooms. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that I bet every listener here lives in a house with a gender nonspecific bathroom. Um, our church buildings weren't built that way. But that doesn't mean that you can't find creative ways of providing that space for people uh, and still be within policy. And, and policy is a really strange word and a strange concept. For some people, it is, this is the law, and I can't cross this. Um, and what I've come to understand, especially with the term of a model policy, we want you to meet these guidelines. Yes. We want you to meet these things. We want you to be thinking about these ideas as you are crafting how you do ministry in your place. It also seems that um, when I think about the model, model policy, I also think here's where you need to be moving towards. So, for instance, like um, our camp um, right now doesn't have dorms that fit that fit in the neat box of the of the model policy. Does that mean that we say, well, bump it, like we're just not going to... Shut know, the place down. The shut, either or, shut the place down or we don't care. You know, the, those are two options, but those aren't mm-hmm. the options that we should have. What we should have is like, how do we then move to a way that we are, um, whether you want to look at it as compliant or at least looking for the spirit of the policy? Um, and how do you move towards that in a way that's um, that's graceful? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I, I, I've learned in uh, in this work is this movement from being complacent, which is we have what we have, just deal with it, <laughs> to being compliant, which is I'm going to check things off, and moving towards commitment. Yes, it is the mindset. Uh, it's not about checking things off. We've gotten past that. And so we are actually saying, how can we as God's children invite everyone here? You know, if we had a young person come to our church who had special needs, do we just say, well, we can't, uh, we can't, you know, we don't have a ramp. We don't have whatever needs you are. So forget about you. Mm-hmm. Or no, you have to fit into what we've got and we're just going to force you. No, I think with a person, we're going to try to. We need to remember that the church for good or for ill, is full of people. And it is about people and it's about relationships. Uh, and so, and as Anglicans at our heart, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, we are both and people. And so we should look at ways that we can be both and. So in your example of that camp, be creative. Come and, yeah. f- come and find ways that are going to work. Um, at the camp that we use, uh, I had a transgender boy uh, who was coming to camp. In my diocese, a boy is a boy is a boy, whether you're a cis boy or you're a transgender boy. Um, and we've had that conversation not only with our young people, but with the parents as well. And so when we talk about how we're going to sleep, of course he was going to be in the boys' cabin with the rest of us young men. There are two adults in there, and we were looking at all the... And that we asked everyone, no one really needs to get naked in this room. Uh, there is a, is a bunkhouse, a shower house that's over there where you go and change clothes and you do a showering and all of that. Um, and then for this young man, we had uh, a single-use shower in another building. So you find ways that are going to be graceful, yeah. that are going to be welcoming and inclusive of everyone. And I think also then bringing people in on that. Because I think what happens is so often, 
even as adults, we don't necessarily, we don't always say, hey, youth, or hey, people within the church, we want you to be a part of what's, what safeguarding looks like, Absolutely. what these policies look like here. I mean, instead, you know, we do a lot of top-down approach. Um, we say, this is, what, this is what's going to happen. Good luck. Um, or, uh, or I think my, one of my favorites is um, using, the, using an example about um, kids sitting on, on a couch. And, um, you know, my youth minister growing up like, was like, hey, guys. Um, she could have said, hey, guys, you can't fit 13 people on this couch. You're done. <laughs> But one of the things that one of the things that I look back on and that I really um, appreciated from her was that she said, "You can't sit on this couch, and here's the reason why." And it's not just because um, you all smell and then you just make it worse, like when you're there. No, it's because something could happen. You know, people on the bottom of the couch minding their business, and your hand is on on your lap. Somebody sits on your lap. Something could happen, and and you may not have intended to do anything. But this is just this is for your safety. This is why, you know, here is a couch that has three seats. Three people belong on this couch. Um, and we also don't know everyone's backstory. Yeah. And what everyone has experienced in their life. And so policies allow us to say it's not personal. <clears throat> it is trying to protect everyone. Um, and... How do we do that with the current community that we have? Yeah. And the only way you can do that is by is is offering and to say these are the reasons why it is it is because we are wanting to make sure that everyone is welcome. You know, it used to be in the day um, that we would use euphemisms uh, for um, male female relationships. No purpling. That was really big. You know, boys are blue and girls are pink. There's no purpling going on. Um, and as I continue to work with people that were um, identifying as LGBTQ, um, that wasn't speaking to them. And I realized, you know, folks, we need to not do euphemisms. Our, our young people are not stupid. They can take, you know, straightforward, you know, you don't have to say, so the matchy does the five, you know, no, you can just say. And then <laughs> I have not heard that one. Well, <laughs> it was, we then were doing no hot blue, no hot pink, no deep yeah. blue. Yes. Why use euphemisms? Let's treat people as, as humans as they are. And so currently in the Diocese of Michigan, and at, before every youth event, we go through our, what we call our safe space rules. And one of them is that there's no sexual um, contact either by yourself or with someone else. Does anyone need any explanation about that? And that's always, no, 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 no. <laughs> but I haven't had to say or to differentiate or to even say, you know, straight or gay or any of this. It's just in our community, there's no sexual contact. And, and it's, it's, it treats people with dignity and, hu and humanity. It treats everyone as equal. I haven't said, well, you know, but, you know, by people, I haven't had to do any of that, yeah. and it and it treats them as humans. It involves them in this process, and they're going, "Thank you." I mean, that's that's the response that I get more often because they're not having to feel like they have to maybe out themselves. Yeah. You know, I don't want to sleep in that. You know, the, a lot of reasons. It is more inclusive. Yeah. So, talk to us about. I know there there's some updates. There's some refresh looking at at the policies that we've had. Um, what are some of those specifics? Like, I know uh, 
a lot of people have been hungry for or looking for a social media policy yes. as we, I mean, there's a new social media thing every day. So, you know, what are some of the, the key ones that youth leaders specifically in the Episcopal church should be mindful of as these kind of roll and get implemented in a, a real setting and then some, some other stuff. Great. So there are model policies that were produced for the denominational church mm-hmm. uh, that, are, that reside in a couple different places that you can get it. We're working towards getting it onto CPG's website yeah. uh, so that it's all the same thing, and they're updated. Uh, the areas that really have changed, um, the inclusion and the understanding that we do have people uh, that are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, all of, and that they are a part of the church, they will continue to be a part of the church, and we need to recognize that as we are doing activities. So when we do overnight activities, for example, in a hotel, so we're, the sleeping is done in a hotel, and, and so there are policies that say, no, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. There is still room as to what's a best practice for one area or another. When I first started doing youth ministry, uh, and I think of these horror stories, and I realize why I was told that I would be accused of sexual misconduct, um, not because of any actions, but someone looking on the outside, looking at this, saying, that's a little questionable. Um, uh, we did a, a, a mission trip or a, um, a weekend trip to Key West with another church, uh, and all the boys were in the one rooms and all the girls were in their other rooms, um, but I was put into a room with three other boys, two beds, um, and we would flip coins each night to see if I had to sleep on the floor or on a bed, and if I slept on the bed, then which two boys were going to sleep together? I think that we can actually say now that it's really not appropriate to put, and I'm not so sure about family members, but non-related people sleeping in the same bed for many reasons. If you're not used to it, you're not going to get good sleep. I mean, for many, many reasons. Um, So that was one of the things that that we've looked at. So how do we do sleeping? How do we do bathroom? How do you do... um, Uh, just these overnight trips that have a little bit more concern about some of the logistics of sleeping, bathing, changing clothes, all of that. Um, And what the model policies do is say, you need to be aware of these. You need to be thinking about them as you are creating your events, you know. And and we have places in the Episcopal Church, which is not only in the United States, but is is international. And so while maybe in the United States... um, um, marriage equality is true. Um, we have an entire province that it's not legal, uh, and they don't deal with that. And and for us to force um, members of the diocese in the Caribbean or in, in that area to, to, to conform to the United States is not appropriate. Um, and so we had to write that says, how does the whole church come into um, relationship with th- this activity or these people, this group of people, this idea. So that's one area. Social media was also one of the biggest and, and hardest ones, and one that I spent a lot of time with as the as one of the uh, three youth ministers on the uh, on the task force. Uh, it was 
I took on the job of, of crafting the social media. And then we came together and more people did that. Um, but it's, you're right. You know, tomorrow there's going to be all different apps that do different things um, that we've never even thought of. And so we tried to look at what, what are the, not rules, but what are the policies, what are the best practices in in-person relationships, and how do we transform that to also dealing with digital relationships? Understanding the, 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 the thoughts about power differential, mm-hmm. about who has power, about um, who gets to decide whether that's appropriate or inappropriate, how do we allow our parents who have the absolute right to parent their children even in ways that I may not agree with as the youth minister uh, that allows them to be at the same table as people who parent differently Uh, and to always look at it that our duty is for the protection of those young people the protection of the vulnerable adults, the protection of those we minister to. So the, the social media policies, and it's, they're really a, 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 su- a suggestion. Here are things to look at, um, to consider as you are creating your own policies. Um, again, and, and I will tell you that there are a couple of policies that came through there that I don't personally agree with as a youth minister in my community and location because I've done things differently. Yet I know that we have talked about it and that we have followed the recommended procedure to say, okay, so using it as an example, there, you, know, uh, you do not friend anyone under the age of 18. And I get why that was said. People said that. In my diocese, we have a, a variation of that that has been approved by our diocesan council that says... Under these circumstances, you can. But there are certain circumstances. They're written out, and people know, and it's never done in secret. It's always transparent. Um, It's always done for the betterment of who we're ministering to. And so that's as we moved not only from policy, but to best practices. We wrote that into the policies as well. It's not saying, this is what you have to do. Here's your, your measurement. We have asked for that. We have asked for you not to remove anything, and yet there, is, there are protocols in there that say if in your place where you are at it does not work under this way, that you have embraced it, you have talked about it, you have wrestled with it, and have decided as a local community that this doesn't work and have put it in writing and you've had your diocesan council, your vestry, whatever organizing group sign off on it. It's not one person being Lone Ranger deciding on themselves. Yeah. Um, and so that's where we're, those areas that you know, people are really sticking with. And they're, they're also saying, you know, well, you're saying every five years, you know, every three years you have to redo training. And now we have to do these background checks on everyone. Well, they're actually not new. They were in the old policy. They weren't being enforced. Mm. Yeah. This was a time to bring it up to being enforced. And there are really great reasons for all of this. Background check. So I've been a youth minister for 29 years. I've been in my current place for 10 years. They did a background check on me when I got there. I mean, they did the whole Oxford document. Really, they usually reserve for clergy. But I've been there 10 years. And if they've never done 
a, a redo on my background. Who knows what's happened? Now, we've required them. I've asked them to, and I have a background check done every year uh, because I feel that that's important to set the example for my youth workers and people that work in our diocese on our diocesan um, youth level as adults. I do background checks, but I include myself into that as well because I am not above these same policies, these same um, ideas. No. Um, it's just too important. Yeah. So where do we go from here? Um, what, I mean, is... Oh, are, are they asking generally, like, where... Well, dinner Maybe dinner at some point. Yeah, I'm saying, like, dinner at some point. I'm hungry. Um, yeah, I'm getting hungry, too. Uh, <laughs> so wh- where do we go in, from here in the sense of where can people... I mean, are these now out there and it's up to... Uh, dioceses and churches to implement them? Is it waiting to be approved by someone else? Um, Can can we find these anywhere? So the intended procedure is the model policies provided for the denomination are out there. They have been approved through the process that was written when the when the policies were when that task force was created. So um, it is now up for dioceses. Uh, and this was came out at general convention to now they need to accept their policies and uh, modify their diocesan policies in accordance with these model policies. Um, and then parishes need to adopt policies that are modified according to their diocesan policies. Many churches just automatically adopt the diocesan policies, but some do not because things that are on a diocesan level are not on a parish level. This is the difficult part um, because, okay, you're telling us that we have these policies and we should be doing training on them, but we don't have training in place to to deal with this. And so people are are freaking out. In my diocese, Mm -hmm. yes, they are freaking out because I have been pushing. And in September, our diocesan council adopted new policies, and we are now helping our parishes adopt new policies. And I have created and am creating a a, a sort of a kit to help every parish, what they need to look at, how they need to go through it, and how to do that, which I'm willing to share with anyone once I get it created. So just letting you know. So we, it's from the denominational level, and so they're changing their policies. I know that Bronwyn is looking at how these policies will change how they do EYE, and that they will put those into place now that they've got them. We need dioceses to be doing it, and then going down to parishes. But that doesn't mean that a parish has to wait for a diocese or for the diocese has to wait for the denominational church. Uh, the, the policies are out there, uh, and even if it's not official policy, I suggest you look at them to see where people are going so that we are having the conversations, particularly about LGBTQ, particularly about social media, particularly about vulnerable adults um, and, and, and the elderly, uh, because we need to include all that. The next step is happening in this next triennium, a new task group, because there's only so much money to go around. So we did our work and presented it. So a new task group has been created that will create model policies on sexual misconduct, which is that employment and sort of what happens in churches a lot on not children level, um, and also updating training which is not only, which is the Safeguarding God's Church, Safeguarding God's People, and hopefully working with Presidium in their online as well to update that for the denomination. So that's in the future. 
And yet we have people that are like, well, how do we do this? And, and so it's a mess. Um, it's, it's, it's cumbersome. Um, and it's about relationships. And so relationships are a mess. Relationships can be cumbersome. Um, that doesn't mean that we stop. Yeah. One of the things that I said during the last training was, um, I gave them the model policy and I said, this is the model policy. This is something that you need to work with your church and talk about. How are we implementing? How are, are there things that we need to do differently and go from there? Um, but also know that if you still need the Diocese of Atlanta, like one from 2015, and that's like that's your framework for right now until like until everything is complete. Continue continue to look at that, but like know that know that this is here and this is ready for us, um, and we're getting ready to like start implementing it. And they're like, and it's it's similar to what Atlanta has done with the dismantling racism training. Mm-hmm. So around the church. Everyone had their own or borrowed it from places, and it wasn't working, and we needed to do that. But we heard that Atlanta was creating something. So I know that in Michigan, we put ours on pause, waiting to see what was produced with someone that was really focusing on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're doing on the denominational level um, right now is we've got a group that's coming together, which I've been asked to be a part of. So I'm sort of excited to have that mm-hmm. continuity with that, to look at how we update the training, not only the ways it's presented, but what we talk about. Um, but you need to use what you have as well. Yeah. Yeah. So keep training, keep doing training, bring up these ideas that may not be talked about in, in the current training, uh, and keep us moving. Keep us to uh, respect the dignity of every human being um, means that um, if I'm concerned about you, I'm going to watch out for you. Yeah, I think that's a good uh good message to kind of end on as we head into 2019 and kind of the future of the Episcopal Church coming up. Um, If you like what you heard, subscribe to us on your podcast format. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. If there's any topics you want to cover, we'll finish with with a, a prayer. Would you lead us in a prayer? Absolutely. Would love to. So let us pray. Dear Lord, you have called us to be in relationship with you and with others Um, And we as humans are fallible, uh, and we mess up those relationships. Lord, enter into our relationships with each other um, to make them holy, to make them whole, um, and to know that when they're in error, that we need to fix them. And that goes in the ways we deal with people, and the ways we deal with our children, and the ways we deal with uh, everyone in the church Help us to remember that this is not about checking off boxes, but to be committed to you and to each other for the betterment of this world. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.